Good morning. Sorry, this is a bit of a laugh. Christmas is such. Oh, sorry, I can't see. Uh, Christmas is such a wonderful and special time of the year. At Christmas, uh, we get to do so many things that we don't do any of the rest of the time. Uh, we light candles in church and we give each other presents. It's a great opportunity for family to gather together. Christmas is a time of many unique things. One of those is Christmas has its own set of unique sounds. At Christmas time, we sing our Christmas songs, or you hear the sounds of wrapping paper opened up for presents. If you are a parent, you might hear loud sounds at 4 a.m. in the morning of Christmas as your kids wake up excited to see what Santa has brought. We hear our tummies rumble before the meal appears. We hear sleigh bells ring, we hear glasses clink. We hear Michael Bublé and Mariah Carey for the first time of the year. Christmas has its own unique set of sounds. One of those, and probably increasingly uh, as the years have gone on, one of the distinct sounds of Christmas is the sound of the doorbell. Not so much on Christmas Day, perhaps, but in the run-up to Christmas, and all the more as Christmas approaches, we hear the doorbell go. We open the door, outside we see a man or woman uh, holding out a cardboard box, something that elves Amazon have prepared for us. Our last minute at presents come. We get excited, we hear the doorbell, a delivery is here. For a modern Christmas, deliveries are pretty central. Deliveries are also central to the first Christmas story. Now, there is, of course, the very special and unique delivery of the Son of God being born in a stable. But delivery is also at the heart of what Jesus has come to do. Delivery is at the heart of who he is. The passage we're going to consider this morning is in the book of Hosea. It's a passage that looks back at God's past deliverance. It looks forward to God's coming deliverance. And it is ultimately a picture of God's final deliverance given in Jesus Christ. A passage in Hosea is quoted in Matthew chapter 2. That's why uh, it's considered an Advent passage. Uh, if you want to uh, find Hosea in your Bible, please do. It's the first of the minor prophets, so um, just after Daniel, you'll find Hosea. Hosea is one of those books you're very allowed to look in the contents for. If you look at a page of contents for like Genesis or something, then it's a bit of a struggle, but Hosea, you can find it in the contents. Now, Hosea, uh, as a book, uh, it is a prophet. He's speaking to the people of Israel in the 8th century BC, so importantly for us to consider, this is pre-exile. We've just been going through Haggai as a church. That is a post-exilic book. The people have been returned to their homelands. In Hosea, the people are warned by God that they will be sent off into exile. Because they have stopped worshipping God and they've started worshipping other gods, mostly Baal. Throughout the book, there's quite a lot of harsh language. It can be one of those books that we sort of wince as we read it. God refers to Israel in the book as an adulterous wife. God has been a faithful husband, giving to Israel all that he has, and Israel has rejected him to worship other gods. God warns of the coming judgment. Uh, he says things throughout the book like this. They shall not remain in the land of the Lord, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, 
and they shall eat unclean food in Assyria. God's warning is that exile is coming. Some people will be exiled into Egypt, but most will go to Assyria or Babylon. They will leave the land of the Lord. They will live under the rule of foreign powers. Almost all who go into exile will die in exile. And so just before we come to read Hosea chapter 11, which is our passage, I want you to consider uh, for a moment how you would feel in the shoes of those listening to Hosea. In your expectation of the exile. There would surely be fear, desperation, despair. And I also want you to consider what would your impression of God be? Hosea preached for about 25 years, not all at once. He preached for about 25 years of judgment, of the judgment of God to come. How then, if you listen to that, would you feel about God? Maybe your impression of him would be of somebody angry or distant or cruel. As we get to Hosea chapter 11, it shows us the true heart of God in all of this. If you're in the ASB or many Bibles, there will be a chapter titled something like The Lord's Love for Israel. This is the chapter that communicates God's heart. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Uh, Ephraim is used interchangeably with Israel in Hosea. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to feed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. That the swords shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and they, though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adnan? How can I treat you like Zebulun? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Amen.
Verse 1 is really our key verse for today. Verse 1 is the one that is quoted in Matthew 2. We'll fast forward to Matthew 2 a little later on. How is God presented for us? Not as an angry, distant dictator, like we might think, but he is presented as a loving father. A loving father who is torn to shreds at the idea of his people, his beloved child Israel, heading off into exile. Some of you may know that the pain of having a child that does not love you back as you would like. Some of you may just be able to imagine the pain that would cause. That is the pain God feels as he looks on his people Israel who have rejected him. His posture towards them is of love. Of a heartfelt desire to be with them. And to be with them and be their God. And it is that heartfelt desire that drives them to do, drives God to do all that he does. He sends them into exile in hope that they will come back with their whole hearts. That they will return and worship him. That Israel will be faithful to him just as he has always been faithful to Israel. From God's heart he says to his people, before they head into exile, I will bring you back. I will deliver you. He makes that promise in verses 10 and 11 of our passage. He gives them a confidence for that deliverance in verse 1. And then in Matthew 2, we see that God gives ultimate deliverance in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at those three stories of deliverance. The one referenced in verse 1, which is the deliverance in the Exodus. Uh, the one in verses 10 and 11, the deliverance from exile. And then the deliverance given by Jesus. The deliverance from sin and death. Now first of all, look at verse 1 again. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. As Hosea says this to the people of Israel, he tells them to look back. Look back at your history. Look at what God did generations ago. Look back at your people's time in Egypt. Now the people of Israel, they always had the story of the Exodus at the forefront of their minds. Every year they would celebrate the Passover festival. There'd be other festivals to remember their time in the wilderness. The story of Exodus was at the forefront of their minds. In that Exodus story, Israel uh, had been in Egypt for about 400 years. Uh, they had originally gone there because of a famine in Canaan. It ended up about 3 million people. 3 million people inside the superpower of Egypt. Egypt enslaved the people of Israel. But throughout all that time, all their time in Israel, in Egypt, all their time in slavery, we hear these words in Exodus chapter 2 about how God feels about his people. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God loved his people, but his beloved people were trapped. Trapped in Egypt and trapped with no hope of ever getting out. There could be no comparison between the strength of Egypt and the weakness of Israel. 
No chance of deliverance except if a deliverer would come. If one would deliver them from the hands of Egypt. And then in that Exodus story, in comes the Lord. And striking down the firstborn of all the Egyptians, yet sparing the firstborn of the Israelites because of the slaying of the Lamb. The great deliverer they, they needed was the Lord himself who delivered through the blood of the Lamb. They hurried out of Egypt. The Lord parted the sea for them. They journeyed onwards, delivered from Egypt to be delivered into the promised land that God had prepared for them. The people of Israel needed a deliverer, and in steps the Lamb who was slain. After, being, after Hosea calls the people of Israel to look back, he then calls them to look forwards. Hosea gives us verse 1, gives the people of Israel verse 1, so that they could be confident that this is what the Lord does. The Lord is the Lord who delivers time and time again. Now as Hosea speaks to the people of Israel, they are in this moment a pretty terrible people. If you were to read through the whole of Hosea, uh, you could walk away with no other conclusion. This is a people who are bent against worshipping God. The nation at this point has been divided into two kingdoms. Uh, the northern kingdom, uh, Israel, is ruled by a terrible king called Jeroboam. He leads the people further and further away from the true worship of God. <coughs> they are quite frankly an abomination. An adulterous wife, Hosea calls them. Yet despite that, in our passage, verse 1 and verse 10, they are described as a child, God's beloved child. Despite all their abominations, God still looks on them the same way a loving father looks at a child. As God considers sending them off into exile, we see that the father's heart in verse 7, it recoils within himself at the thought. Despite Israel's sin, God's heart towards them is love. Now this exile that Israel would go into would be mostly in Babylon. At the time, a huge empire conquering other nations, spanning a huge part of the globe. And in that exile, Israel's culture would be wiped out. Their traditions, their customs, their foods would be eradicated. They would be told and commanded to worship idols. They would be held captive under a foreign power. And similarly to the life in Egypt, the people of Israel would have no chance of deliverance. They would be weak compared to the strength of Babylon. And so the people would find themselves again needing a deliverer. Look then at verse 10 and 11 to see who this deliverer will be. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Israel will need a deliverer and incepts the roaring lion, calling his children home. God being described as a lion, it is to say that no king, no army, no empire could stand against them. 
Who could defeat a lion or who could roar louder than a lion? It is surely no one. The people of Israel need a deliverer and they will be delivered by the roaring lion. We have the deliverance from Egypt, the deliverance from exile. This is who God is. God is the deliverer and he delivers those that he loves. As we fast forward to the stories we get in Matthew chapter 2, Israel are once again finding themselves under the rule of a foreign power. Uh, they are of course occupied by the Romans, uh, who again will treat them harshly. And again there is no comparison between the strength of the Romans and the weakness of Israel. Israel has absolutely zero chance of being delivered by themselves. And into the story steps Jesus. Yet Jesus did not concern himself with dealing with the Romans. He had not come to deliver his people from the Roman army, because it was not the Roman army that truly held him captive. Jesus came to deliver his people from sin and death. Sin and death had an empire far bigger than any nation, far more power than any king or army. Sin and death covered the whole earth and held every single person captive. There was no one on earth who could possibly defeat sin and death. They needed a deliverer. Now sin and death's empire and still has an impact today. It still holds captives. It is very easy to look around the world and see sin's power. As we look at our news cycles, we see stories of war motivated by greed and hatred, killing with no regard for other people. We see sin's power in the world. When we look inwards, look at ourselves, we see sin's power as well. Sin holds power in you. Who of you can say that you live up to even your own standards perfectly, never mind the perfect standards set by God? Christmas time, a time of great joy and happiness, can also act like a bit of a mirror in revealing our own sinfulness to us. I think at Christmas time, it is so often easily a time of greed. Well, the first thought in our minds is, oh, what presents can I get? It can be a time of jealousy as we look at other people's Christmases on Instagram and wish ours were just a bit more like that. It can be a time of selfishness as we guard our dining tables from the poor and needy among us. Christmas time can show us our own sin. And sin and death go together, for the wages of sin is death, so that all who sin will surely die. Who in here could uh, plan what they will be doing 100 or 150 years from now? None. Because death will surely come to us all. And so we find ourselves in the same boat as Israel, all of us sinners in need of a deliverer, all of us bound to die, mortals in need of a deliverer. And here comes our Christmas story. Jesus, the deliverer delivered into the world, 
stepping into your world of sin and death, of famine and disease, of sickness and mortality. Into that world comes Jesus. Jesus becomes, as Hosea 11, 9 puts it, the Holy One in your midst, not come in wrath. Matthew 2, which quotes Hosea 11, 1, describes the Deliverer's entrance into the world. And in the Deliverer's entrance into the world, it flips the script on Israel and Egypt. Now, let me read Matthew 2, 13 to 15 for you. Now, when they had departed, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child, to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Out of Egypt I called my son. In our Matthew 2 story, Jesus, as a baby, is delivered from Herod's attempts to kill all the baby boys in Israel. He is delivered into the safety of life in Egypt. And there, Jesus remains for a couple of years. And so in Egypt, Jesus learns to walk and talk. As he learns to walk, he walks the steps of he walks the steps that the people of Israel walked generations ago, retracing the steps of the slaves who were trapped in Egypt. As he learns to talk, he will have asked some of the same questions that the children of Israel asked generations before. When can we go home? When can we leave Egypt? He will have asked. There's a, a beautiful song by Rich Mullins called My Deliverer that imagines Jesus' early life in Egypt. And the first verse and chorus of that song reads like this. Joseph took his wife and her child, and they went to Africa to escape the rage of a deadly king. There along the banks of the Nile, Jesus listened to the song that the captive children used to sing. They were singing, My Deliverer is coming. My Deliverer is standing by. My Deliverer is coming. My Deliverer is standing by. The message behind Jesus' early life in Egypt and his deliverance from Egypt is that Jesus has walked where his people have walked before. That Jesus has heard their groans, that Jesus knows their pain, that Jesus sees their tears. The message of Jesus' life in Egypt is that he hears your groanings, he knows your pain, he sees your tears. For many, Christmas is such a time of joy, but there are many for whom Christmas brings sorrow. Missed loved ones, forgotten memories, loneliness, isolation. And for many of those experiencing sorrow at Christmas, that sorrow can come with a huge amount of guilt for feeling so sorrowful at Christmas time, while everyone else has the time of their lives. If your Christmas story is one of sorrow 
and sadness. Jesus hears that. He sees it. He knows it. And he loves you. Jesus knows exactly what it is like to live in a world broken by sin and death. He knows the fullest extent of it. He knows the darkest corner of the human heart. And yet he still chose to come. To come not in wrath, but to come in love. To deliver all people from sin and death. If sin holds power over us, if sin held power over the people of Israel, then we and they need a deliverer from sin. And into the story comes the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb, slain on the cross, pouring out his blood for the salvation of the world. And there on the cross, the Lamb bled for your sins, delivering you from sin's power and sin's punishment. Uh, yes, you will still sin, but sin does not have power over you. But Jesus has delivered you from it. On the cross, we see that your sin, every last thought or evil deed, can be wiped away if you come to trust in Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. If death still holds power, if death had power over Israel, if death still holds some power over us, then they and we need a deliverer from death. Into the story comes the roaring lion, Jesus Christ. He who was delivered into the tomb as a dead man walks out of the grave, declaring that death is dead. The roaring lion roars, declaring something like these words from Hosea 13, 14. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol, I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? The Christmas story is the story of the deliverer, Jesus Christ, delivered to us. The lion and the lamb to deliver us from sin and death. That is what we are delivered from. Finally, what are we delivered into? So when God delivered Israel from Egypt, he delivered them to the promised land. When God delivered Israel from Babylon, he delivered them, uh, as we saw in verse 11, he delivers them back to their homes that he has made for them. When God delivers you from sin and death, he delivers you into the place that he has prepared for you. Now that place is in Christ. To be a son, just as Christ is a son. United with Christ as a son of God. Uh, son here is not used in a, in a gender way to, to exclude anybody based on gender. Uh, it's used to communicate uh, the ancient reality of what it meant to be a son. Uh, there were certain privileges and inheritance that were only given to sons. Uh, men and women in Christ experience the exact same relationship with the Father and status before him. Consider how our Hosea chapter started. God looking at Israel, his son, in the Exodus story. God looking at Israel, his son, at the time of Hosea. 
Now Israel were God's chosen people and being God's chosen people allowed them to claim the title of son, allowed them to be children of God. From the birth of Jesus, that status as a child of God is not given by birthright, but it is given as an option to all. John 1.12, we often read at Christmas time, puts it like this. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Being delivered into sonship means that you have a loving father experiencing the same love of God that Jesus has experienced for all eternity. Being delivered into sonship means that you have an inheritance, eternal life with God. Being delivered into sonship means this Christmas time you can rejoice that the Lion and the Lamb has delivered you from sin and death. Our God is the God who delivers. The Lamb delivered Israel from Egypt. The Lion delivered Israel from Babylon. And now the Lion delivers you from sin and death to make you a beloved child of God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you are the God who delivers. That you are the God who looks upon your people as a beloved child. Who saw your people in Egypt and knew and their pain and heard their pain and saw it. Lord, we thank you that you, your heart recoiled as you sent your people into exile. But Lord, we thank you that your heart was to bring them back, to be with them and to be their God. Lord, we thank you that that heart is seen most in the ultimate deliverance given in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he became the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. That he became the roaring lion who declared that the grave is dead. That death has lost its sting. And we thank you that he is the one who has delivered us into sonship. To be your children. To have you as our loving father. To have a beautiful, glorious inheritance waiting for us. Lord, help us this Christmas time to remember Jesus Christ, our deliverer, delivered to us. Amen.